Well, first order of business, um, congratulations to the Gators. Uh, yeah. how, many, how many Gators do we have here in the house? All right, and uh, any, any hurricanes? Not one, maybe one? All right, we won't, I won't even go there. I was gonna tell you that I've become a fan, but I'm not even gonna do that now because I'd lose all my audience. Um, hey, all right, hey, well, I wanna kind of start today by um, sharing with you a couple of fears that I have. Um, they're probably on the, the realm of the, uh, the phobia. Um, maybe we could go that far. Uh, the first one is acrophobia, not a necrophobia, that's a fear of spiders, but acrophobia is to say that I'm really afraid of heights. Um, I, I don't do heights really well. Um, and so the other day I was, I was on Facebook and, you know, like Facebook does, one of the videos came up and there was this, uh, a guy and a girl, and they were climbing this mountain peak, but it was not like your normal kind of big mountain where you kind of climb up and you've got a lot of room at the peak. This one was a sheer face on both sides, just coming to the top, and the top looked to be maybe eight inches wide, so that not where you couldn't put down two feet, you had to put down one foot and the foot behind it, and it's like, oh my gosh. And so they had the GoPro um, camera on the helmet and it was looking down and it looked to be a thousand or more feet this way and a thousand or more feet that way. And I could barely watch the screen. It was that bad. That, I mean, it was just like, I'm sitting in my chair and I'm nervous for the heights that I'm seeing on the, on the screen. It's just, it's kind of crazy. So uh, like Will Smith and iRobot, um, I'm uncomfortable with heights. All right, and so the second thing for me is I have uh, glossophobia, uh, which is, or I've had it, I've had to work through it, which is the fear of speaking in front of people, speaking in public. Anybody have that one? All right, well, can you imagine when this college kid who I would cut 50% of my classes where I knew there was dialogue in those classes under fear that I would be called upon? All right, it was just that bad. I mean, my tongue would get thick, I would glaze over, my mind would go blank, and it's just, I'd begin to stutter. It was really not a pretty thing. So I cut a lot of my classes, and there, my senior year of college, I get the sense that God wants me to go be a pastor. Well, you can imagine the conversation that I had with God, how about that one, is Lord, pastors speak in front of people. Um, and that's not something that I do very well. Um, are you sure about this? And God didn't say no. He kept kind of putting that burden in my heart. And so I had to work through my fears. Um, I procrastinated for three months, but there in January of 1982, I pulled out some poster board. I was a resident advisor in the dorm that I was at. And I wrote 10 p.m. Bible study, Michigan House Lounge. Uh, that was my advertising, and I put it in a prominent place where people could see it. And then I prayed all day long that no one would come. <laughs> I really did. So I got there about 10 to 10, and there was one guy in the room, Mike Forrester, and uh, I knew Mike. I said, Mike, hey, I've got the room rented tonight. We're, uh, we're going to do a Bible study. And he said, yep, I know. That's why I'm here. And my heart just sank. I thought, oh no, I gotta go forward with this. We got one person. Turned out 10 people showed up and I led what I am convinced when we get to heaven, we're gonna find out, was the worst Bible study in the history of the church. All right, I mean, the entire history of the planet 
uh, of the Church of Jesus, it was the worst one. I stuttered through it and I just kind of would put out unclear questions, no one would answer, so then I'd start rambling and, and it, was, it was pathetic. Next week, 15 people came. <laughs> By the end of that semester, I had three Bible studies going with 50 people involved and 10 of my friends prayed to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it wasn't because I knew how to speak. It was just that God's gospel is a powerful thing. And it works when we are willing to step out from behind whatever fears, whatever limitations, whatever inadequacies that we all feel and put ourselves out there to let God do his thing. And it was just a powerful experience. And I'm so glad that God didn't let me stay behind that fear that was defining me of not being able to speak in front of people, but was willing to go through the pain uh, and the embarrassment and the sweat and the tears uh, of putting myself out there to be used of by God. Today, we're gonna be looking, as OJ mentioned, to Acts chapter three, and we're gonna see his disciples, the guys that he was pouring into and building into for 12 years, or to, uh, for three years, that these guys were at the top of their game. I mean, they were doing amazing things. They were doing the miraculous. They found themselves saying the miraculous. They found themselves showing uncommon, miraculous courage. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. Now the context, this is Acts chapter three. In Acts chapter one, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus is now in heaven. He's left earth, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven. And he told his church, his disciples, to wait in an upper room in Jerusalem uh, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit filled all of the believers, and then unbelievable things started happening in and through their lives. They preached the gospel and 3,000 people uh, became Christians. Then hundreds more would continue to join them over the coming days and weeks as the church unfolded in its infancy. They gathered together at homes. They gathered together publicly. They began loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another's needs. It was just this explosion of God's church in all of its glory. And so here we find ourselves in Acts chapter three. The story continues and it continues with a story of Peter and John going into the temple and on their way in there, they end up doing the miraculous. They walk through one of the 12 gates into the temple, the beautiful gate, it says, and they look and they see a lame beggar. This lame beggar, every day his friends would carry him to the gate so that he could beg for money or food and this is how he survived. And so we pick up the story in verse six of chapter three. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk and then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. That's probably a pretty cool scene, wouldn't you think? Verse nine, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I love this. The disciples fully trained by Jesus were able to do 
the miraculous. They saw this lame beggar get healed. And he's jumping and he's running around the temple. And all the people are seeing what is happening here. So naturally, a crowd begins to form. And the crowd quickly comes around them. And then Peter seizes this opportunity, verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us by, as if our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has been completely healed, as you can all see. Now, can you see what's happening here? Peter, just filled with the Holy Spirit, is saying the miraculous. And in the book of Acts, I mean, they're pretty straightforward. The gospel message was basically this. Uh, Jesus lived and then you all killed him. All right? And you turned over God's anointed to be killed, all right? But I know you did that in ignorance, and so you need to repent, and you need to turn to Christ that you might receive his forgiveness and receive the life that he offers. And so Peter boldly speaks out and is saying the miraculous, and the church continues to grow. Now, right when he's speaking, the story continues. The religious leaders, the very ones that put Jesus to death, they're not happy. So they bring the temple police with them because this is all occurring in the grounds of the temple and they threaten Peter. They basically pull them from this public setting and they pull them aside and they begin to threaten these guys. And listen to Peter's response in chapter four, verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must become saved. And verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled and untrained men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you write in your Bible circle, had been with Jesus or circle that, in your bulletin. These guys were recognized as unschooled, untrained, but trained by being with Jesus. And so here in the face of threats, in the face of bodily harm, Peter and John show miraculous courage. I love this. They do the miraculous. They say the miraculous. They show miraculous courage. This is who they had become having been trained by Jesus. Now, I want you to know that it wasn't always this way, right? Peter wasn't always this super spiritual dynamic guy. 
Um, and that should be really good news to all of us here this morning. If you have any aspirations of wanting God to use you, of wanting God to work not only in your life, but to begin to work through your life into the people that God has given you to love. I know this is a super common challenge that I run into over the years, that people in the church, they want to do good. They want to taste what it's like to be used by God. But the single greatest thing that people experience is we feel inadequate. We feel our humanness on so many different levels. And so when you think of maybe starting a Bible study or leading a Summit Connect group, it's natural to think, oh no, I don't know enough. What if I get asked those questions that I don't know the answer to? Then I'm gonna be found out as the Christian who doesn't know it all. Well, guess what? By the way, you don't need to know it all. Just tell them we'll study it next week, all right? There's this thing called the internet. There's these things called pastors. You can call us. We'd love to help you with those tough questions, all right? But, but we have those senses of inadequacies, those senses of, of, of being afraid. My wife has uh, led the children's, one of the portions of the children's ministry down at Herndon for the last 10 years. And someone recently said, Jill just has this ability to help people who've never served before for that first time that they decide to step out and serve, just to help them to, with their fears and to help them to know that God can use them. And, and it's just a really beautiful thing. Right, we feel this when we think about sharing the message of the gospel with somebody who's far from God, somebody in our life that we know is far from God. And what if they reject it? What if they get mad at us? What if they ask us those stumper questions that we don't know the answer to? And so we feel our inadequacies on many, many different levels. We don't feel up to the task. This is one of the most common things that keeps us from experiencing God using us. Well, not only is it common to you and me, it was common to the disciples as well. Let's go all the way back. We're gonna, we're gonna spend some time with Peter's story this morning. Let's go back to the beginning with Peter and the Lord Jesus. It's recorded in Luke chapter five, their first encounter. Peter was a professional fisherman. It's what his dad did. It's probably what his grandfather did for generations. This is what they knew. They were professionals. All right, and so Peter now has his business, and this is what he does for a living. And he is out uh, with what became some of the disciples of Jesus, and they were fishing, and they caught nothing all night long. It's just one of those days where, all right, so they're wrapping up their evening's activities. The morning light has now uh, come on, and there on the shore is this upstart young rabbi that comes along and yells out to the guys, hey guys, did you catch anything? Now, he kind of did that purposely, and they kind of looked at him, and, no, we didn't catch anything. He goes, try your nets on the other side of the boat. To which Peter responded, Lord, we're tired. We've been at this all night long. We didn't catch anything. But to honor this young rabbi, they threw the nets on the other side of the boat, and instantaneously, the nets were so full, they could barely bring them into the boat. And so Peter, coming upon shore, what did he do? Wow, you're good. Let's start a business together, right? No. His response to Jesus was, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He felt his humanness. He felt his inadequacy, right? Peter been doing this his whole life. He just witnessed a miracle and he knew at the instant it happened. And he knew that Jesus was otherworldly to him. And so 
he needed in his heart and in his mind to get distance because he felt that humanness, he felt that inadequacy. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Jesus, <clears throat> obviously, is not taking no for an answer. And he invited Peter and his friends to follow him. And he said, from now on, you're gonna fish for the hearts and the minds and the souls of people. And he invited them into the great adventure that he invites all of his disciples into. The great adventure that God can use me. God can work in and through my life, in all of my insecurities, in all of my inabilities, in all of my phobias. God can work through me. Now, the training begins in the story as we kind of watch what happens in the Gospels. And sure, the guys had some successes, but for the most part, we see a lot of failure. And this is also really encouraging to me, should be encouraging to you as well. Because whenever you try something for the first time, you're probably not gonna be very good at it. Well, that's true of, of being used of by God. And so we see the time where Peter tried to walk on water. Uh, what ended up happening is he started sinking like a rock and, and because he had his eyes on the winds and the wave and he's, Lord help, and the Lord had to reach down and grab him from drowning. So much for doing the miraculous, right? There's another uh, episode where Peter, um, after the Lord described to the disciples for the first time that he's gonna have to go to the cross to bear the sins of the world, Peter starts to try to talk them out of it. Peter's kind of feeling like he's gonna protect the Lord now. And, and he's trying to talk Jesus out of doing that, to which Jesus sternly turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Ouch. Could you imagine that stinging rebuke from the Lord? So much for saying the miraculous, right? And then we know of Peter as the disciple in the night of Jesus' betrayal, the night before he's going to the cross. What's he doing? He's denying the Lord three times, cursing and swearing to emphasize the point to those who kept questioning, no, you really do know the Lord. And he emphatically denied ever knowing Jesus. So much for miraculous courage. And so we see failure time and again as part of their training. Here's the good news. Failure is part of the process and failure is never final, ever, unless you walk away from Jesus. Right? Now, I'm sure there's times Jesus had his hand in his head and he's kind of scratching his head going, oh, these spiritual goofballs, Lord, are they ever gonna, are they ever gonna figure this out? I'm, I'm sure he had those moments, right? Um, but he never gave up on them. Instead, he modeled for them what it looks like. He taught them. He persevered with them. He loved them through all of their ups and all of their downs. This is how he trained his disciples. It's how he did it then. It's how he does it today with you and with me. Now, obviously, we see Peter in Acts. He's a different guy. And here's what he had right, even from uh, the time after he decided to follow the Lord. This is what Peter had right. Wherever Jesus was, Peter had to be right there with him. Wherever Jesus was, Peter wanted to be right there with him. I get the picture of Peter as the Lord is walking down the kind of dusty roads of Jerusalem that whenever he stopped, Peter would run right into the back of him. All right, because just wherever Jesus was, you just get the sense that that's where Peter had to be. That's where he wanted to be. 
And so let's just re-examine those three failures of Peter because in each one of those contexts, there's actually a success that occurred. All right, let's examine the time Peter sank. What was going on there is the guys were out in the boat. Jesus was not with them. And then this huge storm comes upon them and these professional fishermen are fearing for their lives. And the Lord comes walking on the water to them. And when they recognize that it's Jesus, Peter cries out, Lord, is that you? He said, yes. He says, if it's you, let me come to you. And the Lord says, come. And so Peter jumps out of the boat, his eyes on Jesus, and he starts walking on water. I mean, who knows how long he went. If I, it was me, I'd be looking back at the boat going to this, to the guys, you know. Um, but he walked on water. It wasn't until he took his eyes off of Jesus that he began to sink. But for an instant, he did the miraculous. He's a fisherman. That never happened before. That's something that the power of God allowed him to do. Do you remember the scene that I talked about that uh, he said, you know, don't go to the cross, Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, in the very beginning of what's recorded there in the gospel, um, in that particular instance, Peter was actually saying the miraculous. It was a situation where Jesus was having a dialogue with the guys and he's saying, who do you guys, who do the people think that I am? And they said, well, some think you're Jeremiah, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah. And Jesus turned to Peter and says, Peter, who do you think I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus just was just effervescent in his response. Simon, son of Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. That came directly from the father himself. And he praised him. Peter was saying the miraculous there for an instant. And let's go to that scene where Peter denied the Lord three times. Do you remember what happened just before that? They were in the garden and this mob was coming to arrest Jesus because of Judas's betrayal. And with them were all the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the temple guard, but they also had the Roman guard. This is their equivalent of SEAL Team 6. I mean, these were some bad dudes, right? And so when they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He pulled out his sword and he started hacking away. He took a swing at Malchus and cut off his ear. And he was showing courage. It wasn't until Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away, that he put his sword away. And then he was dumbfounded that Jesus was submitting to this whole thing. He thought that he was gonna call angels to come and he was gonna be right at the point of the spear, courageously fighting. And then he got confused and he got scared. And so he began to not deny the Lord. But just for a moment, he showed miraculous courage. So we did see there were glimpses of success. And how did this happen? This is the key. Every time Peter said the miraculous, did the miraculous, showed miraculous courage, he was in close proximity to the Lord. It was directly correlated to his closeness to Jesus. No wonder when the Lord said to Peter, hey, a lot of people are leaving. Do you want to leave too? He's like, where would I go, Lord? To him, he couldn't fathom the idea of not being with Jesus. So how did he do it in the book of Acts? Remember in Acts 1, Jesus is gone, Right? So how did this happen? If, if his ability to say and do the miraculous and to show miraculous courage is connected to the idea that he's with Jesus, how did that happen in Acts when the Lord's in heaven? Well, I want to point you to a really great phrase found in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. It says, 
and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, here's the conclusion. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same thing as if you're standing next to whom? Jesus Christ. All right, it's the idea of being filled with the Spirit. It's the same thing as letting the presence of Christ dominate your life, dominate your thinking. We want to make it a mystical thing, and it's not. It's filling yourself with the Word of God so that the truth of God dominates your thinking, and then by the Spirit of God, you're able to yield to the truth of Christ in you so that you do and say and show miraculous courage, you say miraculous things, you do miraculous things. The truth is, and this is really good news this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The moment you believed, Ephesians 1.13 says, having believed, we received the Holy Spirit of promise. The idea of being born again, what that is, it's called regeneration in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit comes into you at the moment of faith and he regenerates you. He causes you to become a new creation in Christ. You're born a new creature spiritually, the moment of salvation and the spirit of God lives in us and will never leave us and never forsake us. So the key is learning to access his power, learning to allow him to fill us. And one of the practical lessons we have here this morning is it looks like being with Jesus. It looks like that compulsion to just be wherever he's at, to know what he's thinking, to know what he's feeling. And we do that by spending time in his word, time in prayer. We do that by being with one another so we can help one another, encourage one another, push one another along in our faith. We do that by stepping out from our fears and stepping through those thresholds of fears so that God then can begin to use us. Now, we won't do it perfectly at first, but you'll taste and see what it's like for the Lord to work in and through your life and to use you. As you get close to him, you're gonna find yourself doing the miraculous. It may not look like healing a guy on the way into the temple, but it's gonna look uniquely what God has called you to do. I love the story from John Drake here at Summit. Um, John's been going to Summit for quite some time. And on one of our trips to Africa, um, John noticed that the poor villagers, the farmers, um, were not getting much yield from their crop because they had no means by which to irrigate. And so John put his engineering mind and architectural mind to work, and he started tinkering, and he started drawing, and started drafting, and he came up with a windmill that you could make out of materials that they would be able to find right there in Malawi. And so he started this ministry called the African Windmill Project. And this little windmill, it works. It increases the output of the crops by three, four, five times in some cases makes it so that they not only have enough for their own sustenance and family, but now have extra that they begin a business and it helps them overcoming poverty. It's amazing. Why? Because John just put to work. He went in with his eyes open, put to work who God made him to be, and God is using him to do great things for the people of Africa. As you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to find yourself from time to time saying the miraculous. Perhaps it'll be a kind word to a friend in need. I'm always amazed, you guys. Um, just 
how impactful our words are. Just the other day, someone shot back an email to me and said, Jeff, you don't remember this, I'm sure, but you wrote these words to me six months ago in just an email exchange. And he says, you don't know how life-giving they were. And to me, I was just firing back an email. It wasn't something so special. It was just that time that God needed one of his kids to say something to another one of his kids to give them a reminder of who they are in Christ and that Christ is in control. We have no idea how these little acts of kindness, these little words of encouragement can be so life-giving to the people around us. And if you're going after Jesus, it'll become your pattern. I'm just encouraging you. Use your words to show bold, uh, boldness, to, to bring healing to people in need, to speak the words of salvation to those far from God, to bring hope to those who are in difficult situations of life, to bring wisdom to those who are confused. God will use you as you are spending time with him, as you are close to Jesus. It just can't help but kind of spill out when people bump into you. And then finally, as you walk closely with Jesus, you're gonna find yourself growing in miraculous courage. God's gonna make you a different person. He's gonna give you that willingness to show bold love, to show bold or to speak bold truth, and to be the kind of person who is willing to stand up for the hurting and the oppressed and the broken, those who have no voice for themselves, that you'll be the person who's willing to stand in the gap and allow Christ to use you as you step out and into what God has for all of us. Guys, I'm so passionate about this. I just want this for every Christian that I know. Too often it becomes a spectator thing for us. We come, we receive, but we're not to be a reservoir. We're to be a conduit. God wants it to flow. And he's given you people in your life uniquely for you to love. Don't let your fears hold you back. Don't miss this opportunity. I can't imagine standing behind my phobia of speaking in public and missing out on the opportunities that God has given me to use words to change lives. It has just been the richest blessing of my life. And I want this for all the followers of Christ to step into the thing God created you for so that you can experience the power of God in you and through you. How do you do it? Remember, you too have the Holy Spirit, just like Peter. Same spirit in him is in you, right? Live each and every day, every moment of every day, as if you're standing next to Jesus. Pursue him. Remember, being filled with the Holy Spirit is just letting the presence of Christ dominate your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Peter and John's example, Lord, of what's possible. What's possible for those of us who are your disciples today. You've commissioned us as your people, Lord, and you have specific things in mind for each and every one of your followers to do today. And God, I, I know that we feel our insecurities. We feel our humanness. We feel our brokenness. And too often, Lord, we let that keep us from stepping out and putting ourselves out there that we might experience what it's like to be used of by you. And so, Father, my prayer this morning, just for those that are here, that they would get renewed courage, they would get renewed conviction, 
uh, Lord, that you can use them. And that, Lord, by your spirit, you would show them exactly and precisely what that next step is that you want them to take. And so I commit them to you in Christ's powerful and risen name. Amen.